In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is brought to you in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda Virtual under www.cinda.org. Now, we don't only bring you thought leaders from all over the world. We have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to this series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact, globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence to digital transitions and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because you can download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or almost every major podcast platform. In this series, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even can help you propel your career. Now, I invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. And now on to today's subject. You know, we're all living in a world, we're watching TV, the media is all around us and the coronavirus is escalating around the world. And as it escalates, we're hearing words and conversation about tracing, tracking, but we're also hearing comments on human rights and personal privacy. Now, it's been a little over two years since the EU introduced GDPR, which is a legislation protecting personal privacy. And this was followed by similar laws like CCPA in California. And today, this is very, very important. As we're living in this pandemic, we're asked to download tracking and tracing apps. We're asked to fill out papers with information that we never had to fill out before. And we're going to question, you know, who gets all this information? Now, last week, I flew from the EU to the U.S. And for that flight, I had to fill out about five or six forms. I mean, the normal COVID testing forms to two landing cards to other governmental papers. Now, yes, we're in exceptional times and this is necessary, but if you ask me what happened to all this data, I'm honestly going to say I have no idea and it worries me. Now, today we're going to talk to two experts in the area of data privacy one from the U.S. and one from Europe, or one who works primarily in the U.S. and Europe, and the other one in Europe. And they're going to talk to us about what's going on now, two and a half years after GDPR. Stephanie Verlach is the European Affairs Manager for CINDA, the Search and Information Industry Association, and she is the owner of SWM Consult in France. She has 17 years' experience in European affairs. She has worked at the European Parliament, and she was rewarded the Francis Fontaine Prize for her work on the EU opening to Visegrad countries. Today, she works with companies and institutions, helping them understand and implement policies and procedures that meet European guidelines, especially in data protection and privacy. 
And our second guest is James Ward, and he's the managing partner of Ward PLLC, a data security, privacy, and data strategy consulting law firm. He provides clients with sophisticated solutions to information management issues, ranging from GDPR compliance to data breach response. His firm, Ward PLLC, provides clients with data security planning, GDPR compliance issues, and much more. His goal is to help his clients become data smart, be aware of the value of their data, and attuned to the need to protect it and be able to respond to fast-paced changes in technology and law. James is a fellow of information privacy and holds certifications in both European and the United States data security and privacy law and a Certification in Privacy Program Management from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. He is also the co-author of Data Leverage, Unlocking the Surprising Growth Potential of Data Partnerships. Stephanie James, welcome. Hello. Thanks very much. So um, let me let me start with Stephanie. Um, it's been more than two, a little over two years for the application of GDPR in Europe. Um, are you still, you know, what are you experiencing two and a half years later as far as compliance is concerned? Yes, yeah, so, uh, I mean, as you said uh, in, the, in your introductory remarks, uh, it's been two and a half years and we, Europe has been a leader in uh, setting out uh, a general data protection regulation which has been mirrored in a number of countries uh, around the world uh, after it's been uh, enacted and, uh, and implemented. So, I think uh, Europeans can be proud of that, you know, of setting uh, high standards in, uh, in, uh, in the low corpus and, uh, and regulation terms. Uh, as far as compliance is concerned, we're still seeing some big issues. And uh, you mentioned some of them, like, you know, data, uh, data access for the data subject. How can I access my data when I'm in Europe and, uh, and my data is used by some providers all around the world and I, I, I have an, an access right? How do I implement that? This is one element. Another important element that we're seeing also is uh, all that regards uh, transfers, data transfers from the EU to uh, third parties or to the rest of the world. So the US being uh, one of the important places because there has been some big uh, changes in, uh, in the way uh, data transfers uh, were, were happening before the GDPR and even with the pandemic and some new uh, ruling from the uh, European Court of Justice that happened uh, over the over this year uh, with the invalidation of the privacy shield, for example, there's been a lot of uh, things changing. So mm. I think to, to sum up, we're on a good path, but we still have some way to go. Mm -hmm. And James, on the other side of the pond, what's going on? Um, you know, um, CCPA followed uh, GDPR. Um, have you seen Have you seen a lot of movement in the U.S.? I mean, there's a lot going in the on in the U.S. right now. So, um, have have the different states implemented more laws? What have you seen going on there? Yeah, so there have been uh, one or two things going on in the states. So it's it's understandable that privacy hasn't necessarily been top of mind this year. Mm -hmm. um, but in some ways, I think the the very nature of the the, the pandemic and and the election have have brought privacy front and center um, for a lot uh, for a lot of us. Um, there there has been a sense of hurry up and wait in terms of the development of widespread understanding of privacy practices in the U.S. I think um, everybody in the U.S. remembers getting 150 emails in the week before <laughs> May 25th, 2018. And like, we've changed our privacy policies <laughs> to comport with a new European law. Um, and, you know, in that time, very little, I think, has changed. I think data, data processing um, outside of some of the larger uh, and the largest companies in the U.S. has not really caught up with the standards um, that GDPR expresses. And that's in, in some respects, that's not surprising. You know, People think about GDPR as this new thing, but it really wasn't. Um, the directive, which had been in place since 1995, before the GDPR, had virtually the same provisions about what was meant to be done. It's just GDPR gave them some teeth in terms of enforcement. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. is playing catch-up, um, and Stephanie is right to say that Europe's been a leader. The U.S. is playing catch-up 
I think the closest we've come to a, a sort of a comprehensive approach to privacy is, as you mentioned, CCPA. Um, but that that's a law that is already going; it's already obsolete, um, as Californians have now um, agreed that uh, a new and more robust version, CPRA, should come into effect in 2023. So we're seeing legislative confusion with. Uh, you know, an array of 50 different approaches to privacy, um, a great deal of lethargy at the federal level. Um, this is another year where there was an opportunity for a pri- federal privacy law that was not taken up. Um, we'll see what happens next year. I guess we can talk about that later. Um, and and a substantial amount of not necessarily intentional noncompliance, but certainly sort of a, a casual approach to managing privacy because as far as most American businesses are concerned, it's difficult to say how to comply with the laws when most of the regulators in the U.S. don't even know how to apply them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will, you know, that's a very important point, James and, and Stephanie. Um, a lot of times I experience things from Europe, you know, websites I can't access because of GDPR and I wonder why, okay. And it seems like there's still confusion around what what it's really about. Do you see that among many companies? Yes, I mean, uh, as James just said, I mean, uh, some of the big players who have, you know, the uh, legal department and the, and uh, the legal people uh, in place and uh, are able to help, you know, first understanding uh, the legal text, then second, see the exp- the implication for the business and the different line of business because uh, data protection is is really uh, is really a cross. Uh, Across the sector and uh, and uh, board uh, level uh, field, right? You need to implement that all across the the company and the group in order to be consistent and coherent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but if you are a, a smaller uh, a small business, uh, you know, working as a data processor or as a joint data controller with uh, with other uh, players around the world, and you have to first document all your uh, data transferred, you have to uh, assess if you're having uh, sensitive data processing, you have to see if you need a data protection officer or these kind of things. I mean, for some of the small businesses across the pond who are one-man band or, you know, maybe a, maybe a, a 10 or a 50, <laughs> 50 uh, people in team, uh, it, it's very difficult to uh, to be compliant and to understand what you have to do at, at the first place. So we're still seeing some of the you know basics uh, that are not put in place because uh, p- because people, as James said, it's not intentional, but uh, they don't understand mm-hmm. what's really required from them. Yeah. And um, yeah, that, I mean, we're still seeing that, but let's talk about what's going on today, okay? As James said, you know, this hasn't been on the foremost of everybody's mind, um, but, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic where you have to collect a lot of data. Now, James, um, there were two, there were a couple federal bills um, that focused on COVID and data privacy in the United States. Could you tell us about those? Yeah, so, uh, you know, again, I I mentioned earlier that things have been um, slow on the federal level, but there there were, back in May, um, two proposals. One of them is called the Public Health Emergency Privacy Act, um, and the other one's called the COVID-19 Consumer Data Protection Act of 2020. And I want to note for you that consumer data being in the second law is meaningful, and I'll tell you, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, but the but the Public Health Emergency Privacy Act um, was from um, Richard Blumenthal out of Connecticut, who's um, one of the the members of Congress who seems to be a little bit more focused on privacy. Um, and it basically what it says is that you there it's not permissible to use um, data about tied specifically to an individual's COVID nineteen status or COVID nineteen. Uh, related information, so test results, um, visits to a physician, all that kind of stuff, in any way that would be discriminatory towards the user. Um, there can't be, you can't process data about that without opt-in. A lot of the sort of standard things that you see in 
um, what, you, what you would imagine be the sort of the European or Convention 108 model, data minimization, control over data flows by the individual user, protection against secondary use cases, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a narrow law, right? It's only it's 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 limited to the circumstances of, of COVID nineteen, um, but it generally met with uh, approval from um, advocacy groups, so the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a couple of other groups. Um, the the other law, the the COVID nineteen um, Consumer Data Protection Act. Uh, that's that's from Roger Wicker from from Mississippi, who typically isn't um, one of the names that comes up in the privacy context. Um, that is a substantially more business friendly approach to, um, to to managing the data. Um, it it preempts all state laws related to processing of covered data um, related to to COVID. Um, so what it effectively does is undoes CCPA or other California laws related to tracking, um, undoes Illinois' biometric um, protection laws and a few other states, and sort of um, frames it all in the context of a fairly protective, uh, a fairly business-friendly government framework. The problem is most of the businesses who would need to comply with CCDPA want to use the data for appropriate purposes and they would feel potentially um, they would they would potentially feel like they wouldn't be able to under some of the the, the language that's in there mm-hmm. um, the the bottom line is you don't really need to be thinking spending too much time about either of them because they're dead in the water they've been sitting on the committee table since May and nothing's happened um, which is not surprising but it, it's illustrative for two reasons first, to the extent that there are privacy laws emerging from the Senate that are focused on, at, in any way that mention the term data minimization, those are laws that are going to be in line with the European model. If there are laws emerging and that they're titled, just look in the short title. If it says consumer in them, it means that they're more they're friendlier to businesses um, and they are less likely to be similar to GDPR. And they, that also means that they would less likely to lead to an adequacy decision uh, determination for the U.S. in the in the event that that ever gets back to the European Commission. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a little yeah. a little way to, to 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 forecast what things look like in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is confusing. It is confusing for everybody. Um, we're going to take a short break now. And then, uh, Stephanie, I'd like to kind of hear, you know, um, about the pandemic and what's going on and, on data in Europe. And also talk about, you know, we are in this new norm. And what does that mean for data protection? And for our listeners, we are talking to Stephanie Verlach, and she's the EU manager at Cinda, and James Ward, who's a managing partner at Ward PLLC and co-author of Data Leverage, Unlocking the Surprising Growth Potential of Data Partnerships. If you'd like to reach Stephanie, you can reach her on stephanie at cinda.com. She's on LinkedIn and under www.svmconsult.com. And if you'd like to reach out to James, it's jjward at wardpllc.com. He's also on Twitter at privacylaw.com under slash JJW and Ward piece. Uh, the website is www.wardpllc.com. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about data protection, privacy, um, and everything else that's going on in this world today. And, you know, how this fits in with the new norm that we're living in. And we're speaking with Stephanie Verilak. She's the EU manager at Cinda and James Ward, who's a managing partner at Ward PLLC and co-author of the book, Data Leverage, Unlocking the Surprising Growth Potential of Data Partnerships. Now, before the break, James, you were telling us kind of, you know, what's happening around data protection in the United States. Okay. Um, and um, I'm going to go back to Stephanie from now for a minute because the EU was pretty fast out of the gate with some tra- tracking and tracing uh, apps. Okay, um, but how does this work today together with laws such as GDPR? Yeah. So the the first thing to to stress, and uh, as James did, you know, for the U.S. is that uh, the EU was pretty fast, but it was also pretty diverse, right? So from the from the beginning of the pandemic, we've had different types of um, of apps, and also for our, for our uh, U.S. our international listeners, uh, just to explain again that you know in the EU you have different member states, and they are they have the national sovereign sovereignty uh, to decide what type what, what type sorry of app they want to run so there is there is no eu app you know and uh, the biggest questions that we've seen uh, uh, the biggest question was first the question of uh, tracing versus tracking right so the idea was to say uh, are you going to be able to get information uh, stored in your device and then uh, you make sure that you know it was using some technology that wasn't that wasn't tracking you, but that was just enabling uh, contacts to be made in order to uh, signal uh, the positive case and the contact cases, or uh, was the was the um, uh, was the app going to store information uh, outside of the terminal in a big server with remote access and the data localization problems and so on? So this has been. A really big deal, especially in the country where where I am, which is France, uh, and which is a, a very uh, privacy protective uh, country. But in Germany, uh, which uh, Kimberly also knows very well, uh, there's been a lot of uh, of issues and questions in that. And the the result has been a kind of delay in the effectiveness of, of the app itself. So we're seeing now uh, a number of din- of downloads and uses. But this is the second problem: is uh, uh, the the tracking app or the tracing apps uh, are not effective if, if they if you don't have uh, enough people using the app right mm-hmm. if you only have like below two two percent of the population downloading the app and using it then it's it's useless and it's even more worry, worrying for uh, for the privacy reasons so I think we we're still we're now in the second wave in Europe you know uh, and uh, we we now have experienced. Um, that people uh, start downloading the app because they have fixed the major uh, issues with uh, with the data localization and storage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And, and you know, talking about the apps, um, James, what I've read, and maybe I'm wrong, there's only about 10 states in the U.S. that are using them, but I have experienced restaurants or nail salons where you fill out papers, okay, with the data. Um, is there any concerns around that? Because does, you know, I mean, wh- where does that data go? Or is it just the local store open owner is holding it and putting it in a big pile in case there's a, uh, um, a breakout? So there was a, there was a, a joke 
um, that used to run and, and the, the fact that it's a joke doesn't mean that it probably wasn't true, but a, a, um, you know, a, a bottled water company, very, very expensive, nice bottles. And you went to the, to the facility where they made it and you walked around back and it was just a hose attached to a pump. And that's where your, that's where your water was coming from. <laughs> Put that in reverse. That's what's happening to this data. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of companies here, like if you go down down to the corner bodega and there you do get put you in put in information about track and trace or you know logging information, the vast majority of businesses are not using that, compiling it because they have enough difficulty cross-referencing data sets if in in the data management platforms that they have. Mm-hmm. Now you want to talk about a non-integrable data set that's of dubious use. And is likely going to make the customers angry if they find out that they've been using it improperly. It's just very few people are going to be using it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you already have a substantially uh, in place and sophisticated data acquisition mechanism already, there's the possibility that you're going to be using this information. I mean, we know that Amazon uses um, uses this kind of data. We know that others, when they're trying to track footfall, may want to make use of this information. But I think everybody has been in such, you know, sort of a duck and cover mentality about how to manage the how to manage the the pandemic. People are not thinking about, oh, there's a really great monetizable data set here from people. Who- <laughs> Yeah. It's just it's just not happening. That's not happening. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's just kind of part of what we're dealing with right now. And um, another thing we're dealing with, and um, um, James, I'll stay with you for a minute here, is working from home. Okay, which um, introduces new questions about security or data privacy or um, uh, you know what's happening. What are you seeing in the states around working from home, and as far as Companies trying to to com- be compliant, but also be flexible with allowing employees to bring things home. What I'm seeing largely is most businesses that have a work from home component realizing and recognizing that something is happening, something's changing. They just don't know what yet. And I think that sense of a tectonic shift underneath our feet both in the nature of, of what we classify as working from home um, and what we classify as work anyway. Um, all of that is happening while we're simultaneously more aware than ever that our computers are eyes that peer into our homes. And I think there was a push at the beginning of the, um, you know, in that early February, March time period during Zoom apocalypse, when everybody decided that they needed to be on at the same time and everybody was streaming at the same time, um, people were like, oh, well, you know, we can track eye movement and we'll be able to see if people are being productive. And there was just a massive pushback against that in the U.S., where that kind of stuff is not illegal. You can, In Europe, forget about it. You can't get away with that. But in the U.S., it's technically not illegal for those type of technologies to be deployed, which is why the U.S. is where they are deployed. But there was such a huge pushback against it um, that that a new equilibrium was set. Um, I think even without the inter- intervention of of you know workers' organizations, it was just individual employees being like, "I'm not, I'm not going to do that." And that simultaneous, multifaceted response has sort of led to this place where we are now, which is if you can get your work done and you can get it done satisfactorily and in the time frame that we want there's not going to be a huge amount of pushback for businesses that can have people work from home work from home mm-hmm. uh, lots of industries that can afford to do that that don't have that kind of mobile workforce are going to suffer as a consequence um, and that's why, you know, thinking about how the economic impacts and what the economic strategy for coming out of, um, you know, the uh, we're certainly going to be headed into another rough patch after after this winter kicks in, you know, thinking about how to adjust to that reality while simultaneously ensuring that people have um, secure, safe workspaces from home is going to be complicated because we're we're balancing so many different variables that we've never even had to consider before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how many times have you made sure that you're not using the same Zoom password 
um, or using the same login, uh, you know, conference bridge password um, to discuss highly sensitive business information. Mm -hmm. When you were sitting in the conference room at the office, it didn't matter. But now you need to be thinking about that because if that's where the sensitive information is, that's where people who want to steal it from you are going to go. So there's a lot of variables at play that that you know we're just not even thinking about because we're so focused on you know I just need to get through. Yeah, yeah. And Steph, a short comment from the EU perspective on that um, because yeah, it, it is a little tighter than the US. Yes, so it's it's a little bit tighter, and it has been from the very beginning. There has the the EU has tried to put some boundaries also about the uh, the mix between uh, private and business life, right? Because one of the elements also when you're working from home is that you're working from home, but your your partner, your kids, your you know your siblings, whoever is living with you is also potentially gonna. Uh, can appear on a Zoom uh, on a Zoom conference or are uh, making noise around and so on and so forth. And there are some things that you you don't want to share with your uh, with your business partners and uh, and uh, you don't want to share all your privacy. So there was this at the very beginning there was this sentiment of we need to we need to strike uh, to strike uh, strong boundaries. It's proving difficult to do because of the because of the uh, evolution of the pandemic and also there's there's also one element that is very important uh, to solve which uh, as uh, james said we will have to uh, to take care of that in the in the coming year is uh, is the cybersecurity and the fact that uh, for some companies uh, uh, security and terminal equipment uh, in the office is very strong and when you have somebody taking a laptop and bringing that at home using a wi-fi network with potentially you know which can be hacked by the uh, 13 year old kid uh, playing a video game at the same time in the in the other room uh, then you're talking about a uh, a huge sensitive and security approach which needs to be solved and not only from the technical side but also from the uh, legal and responsibility side and uh, we haven't gone through that because uh, because uh, health and security and the uh, healthcare is uh, what is more important right now but mm-hmm. i think this is going to be a very big subject for 2021 yeah yeah and um and and i th- i think that is something well and i and that is true the eu eu was very um strict on on private and work and you know there is the issue with the um you know kids kids and the dogs and everybody else showing up on the zooms during meetings um so we're going to take an, a break in a minute but uh, one question stephanie i'll stay with you um if you can give a quick comment on that we're seeing this work from home um is a new trend but e-commerce has boomed okay um and we're putting our data in i'm using you know more platforms than i've ever used um What's happening around e-commerce and the management of cookies, first and um, third-party data? Uh, uh, before the break, a quick comment on the EU point of view on e-commerce and data. Yeah, so I think, you know, we, we can talk about that also later after the break if, if we want. But one mm-hmm. of the biggest change that we're seeing, not only in legislation, but also in the in the um, uh, implementation practices of the ad tech, uh, ad tech players, is the, uh, the, the shift from third-party cookies. And uh, uh, some of the big players have announced that they're going to completely focus on first-party uh, cookies and first-party data. So just to explain, uh, the first party data means the data that you have on board, right? Where you have the logging information, for example, or and the third party is all that relates, for example, to uh, advertising, advertising information placed on a publisher website or this kind of things. So the fact that people want to be Promoting uh, first-party first-party data and first-party cookie is going to be a tremendous uh, uh, shift in the way advertisers are uh, connecting and using the the consumers and the users' information. So I think this is going to be something that uh, we'll have to uh, really monitor what's going on uh, with the with the legal uh, environment and with the technological environment on that, and it's going to. It's going to imply a lot of changes in the in the way uh, consumers and in the way uh, companies are conducting contracts 
contracts over cookies. And just on e-commerce, I mean, the EU has been pushing uh, on uh, expanding e-commerce and uh, uh, some of the major uh, member states of the EU are promoting digital transformation of small businesses as, you know, state funding uh, with state aids or with funded programs and so on, because they just realized that, you know, when you have the small businesses over the uh, around the corner logged on for three months, uh, if you're not on the internet, then you're dead. Then, yeah, okay. Um, very good points. And James, I'm going to come back to you on that after the break. And for our listeners, we are speaking today with Stephanie Verilak. She's the EU manager at Cinda, and James Ward, who is a managing partner at Ward PLLC and co author of Data Leverage, Unlocking the Surprising Growth Potential of Data Partnerships. And that book is available on Amazon, and I would highly recommend it. If you'd like to reach out to Stephanie, you can reach out to Stephanie at stephanie at cinda.com or on Twitter under Steph Verliak. She's also on LinkedIn and under www.svmconsult.com. And if you'd like to reach out to James, you can reach out to him on www.wardpllc.com and on Twitter under privacylaw underscore JJW. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda provides virtual conference, market research, uh, support on legislative white papers. And if you want to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you see a path to exciting opportunities? Are you missing transformation situations in your world? Tune into Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow. Hosted by Jay Allen. We will challenge you to question what is seen as impossible to do in your field. But if done, would be transformative to understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Listen every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and today we're talking with Stephanie Verlach. She's the EU manager at Cinda and James Ward, who is a managing partner at Ward PLLC and the co-author of Data leverage unlocking the surprising growth potential of data partnerships. Now we've been we've been talking about data protection, privacy, um, and everything that's going on in this new norm. And we were talking about the surge in e-commerce. And Stephanie made some comments from the EU point of view. Um, James, what are you seeing going on in the e-commerce uh, arena? I, I, I a couple of things. I think the first is largely that. Businesses that didn't have an e-com presence before um, have now needed to incorporate e-com into their business model um, in order to survive. And I think that process has hastened the move. I mean, even as recently as a couple of years ago, 90% of commerce was still brick and mortar, right? Mm-hmm. And what we'll need to see is, has the move to e-com, especially in the United States, that's taken place over the last year, uh, but particularly the last nine months, is it going to be durable? And if it is, how will we best understand 
the sort of e-com frameworks that were cobbled together as opposed to the more considered, all right, we're branching out. Um, I think we're probably also going to see a lot of businesses recognizing that a lot of businesses not recognizing the value of the data that they have, that they collect about customers through their e-com platforms. Uh, and also a lot of businesses not understanding the risks that are inherent in those business, in those practices, because they may not realize, you know, just because, um, they don't operate in California if they're sizable enough and doing a sizable enough business that they're subject to, to CCPA. Mm. Um, they're advertising in, in to customers in Europe that they're subject to GDPR. Um, I think that's going to be I think that's going to be a very large component of um, of ecom uh, in the coming year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think you know to sort of touch on the, uh, the on the. The shifting dynamics around how businesses understand e-commerce. It's valuable to to think about the the move to e-com for businesses not as a response to COVID and their businesses having to be shut down. So it's not a supply side question. It's a demand side question. The market is responding to a surge in remotely ordered e-commerce deliverable products um, and people are rushing to fill the void. You know, it's Amazon and other large e-tailers do occupy a huge amount of the space. But as I said, that 90% of the market that still was brick and mortar still has the vast majority of the product to deliver. So the question is, who's going to fill the gap in the availability of product if there is another lockdown or if people realize that they don't like going to stores anymore because they don't want to be around other people? Um, especially after the election, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of yeah. reasons to think about the the demand side driving as opposed to the supply side pulling um, how businesses approach ecom. Mm-hmm. And and that's I think we're going to see that um, as we go into the winter here and go into the holiday season and 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 see this this second wave of transition. And you're right, I think a lot of a lot of companies don't understand the value of the data, but also the risks and how to really do business. And another trend, uh, so I'm going to move on. Um, Another big discussion item is the privacy shield, okay? And I'll go to Stephanie, if you can just kind of quickly explain um, in layman's term what this whole discussion is about. Okay, so the privacy shield was the... um a uh, decision uh, on allowing uh, EU US data transfers because uh, I- James was very right in saying that GDPR didn't invent the will that <laughs> data protection regime already existed before with the 95 directive and the 95 directive um, mentioned the fact that if you were going to do uh, data transfers from the EU to a non-EU country you had to make sure that the data protection level was sufficient. And uh, one of the ways to do that was to get what was called an adequacy decision uh, from the European Commission, recognizing that the legal regime of this country was, uh, you know, protective enough for privacy. And this was the privacy shield. But the privacy shield has been invalidated by the Court of Justice of the European Union, uh, which uh, mainly because of the EU uh, of the US sorry, surveillance laws and the fact that uh, uh, too much of uh, of uh, surveillance bodies were looking into uh, into some uh, uh, personal data uh, from uh, EU citizens and therefore you know uh, the level of protection was not considered uh, adequate but uh, the problem is that with the invalidation of this uh, privacy shield, there is no more uh, adequacy decision, so there is no more no more legal corpus, if you want, on which uh, to base the transfers between the EU and the US. So. Uh, what what is happening right now, and uh, it's happening, by the way, just today, uh, the European Commission is just issuing a lot of uh, guidance notes on 
what type of, uh, of uh, instruments uh, can company rely on uh, in order to continue these transfers? Because, of course, if you're talking about, for example, cloud services or this kind of things, it, it impacts all around the world, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the ways to do that is to rely on standard contractual clauses. So these are uh, added to your contracts, you know, to your regular commercial contracts. And the, the European Commission just today issued some guidance notes on that so you know we're, we're getting some more uh, information but uh, yes it's it has been a devastating uh, uh, news in the privacy yeah. world to yeah. realize that you know the uh, court of justice was just uh, dismissing the privacy shield yeah so I mean that is that is uh, really a large discussion item and it could affect a lot of business James from a US point of view do you think um, do you think there's going to be uh, some some more negotiations with the EU. I mean, the 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 uh, with the politic with the political atmosphere changing. Um, what do you, what's your opinion from a U.S. point of view on this? So the early teens, the U.S. and the EU developed the um, safe harbor, which allowed data mm -hmm. to be transferred, and then the the Court of Justice of the European Union struck it down in Scrims One. So then they went back to the table and they came up with Privacy Shield which the uh, Court of Justice of the European Union shut down in Scrims 2. And now they're back to discussing, they've said that they're already at the table working on a successor program that would allow for tra data transfers. And I I'm not sure if it was politics or insanity that's doing the same thing and expecting different results. Uh, it's, it's one of the two, I'm quite sure. And I, there is absolutely no reason to think that there'll be any difference um, from the CJEU or even from the European Commission, because the problem is not that the United States has bad privacy laws. The problem is that the United States allows its intelligence services to get free access into data on European uh, in European data subjects. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the basis of Scrams. Mm -hmm. He objected, he worked for Facebook in Ireland, and then he objected to Facebook's uh, allowing his data to be held in the US where the NSA could read his emails. And the CJEU said, yeah, that's absolutely unacceptable. It's, it's, I can't believe that, that the US would allow this to happen. Now, of yeah. course, it happens everywhere in the world, mm -hmm. but Americans being the very subtle people we are, are just too blatant about it. Mm -hmm. So, no reason at all to think that there will be a, a long-lasting substitute for Privacy Shield. What you'll have to do is come up with what the European um, Commission or the European Data Protection Board is calling um, supplementary measures. Mm. Um, they've issued some guidance on it, and the guidance is really, really unhelpful. Um, it says things like, you'll need to you know, go to ensure that um, you have undertaken supplementary measures that bring the private, the security of the data to an adequate level. Well, mm -hmm. But what is an adequate level? They don't exactly. Yeah. No, um, yeah. but it's, it, we're getting towards, towards the end of our show. And um, I'd like to hear from both of you um, what you think are going to be, you know, the two to three hot subjects um, as we come into 2021. And I'm going to start with James and maybe a, also, when you when you mention this, a short comment on Brex on Brexit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or that's another show. Okay, <laughs> or is that one of the three things? Okay, no, okay. So two to three things that we're going to have to be facing in 2021, James. So I'll say that the first one, and and I've the last four years I've said that it won't happen, but this is the first year that I'm saying that there's a possibility of a federal privacy law. Mm. Uh, there are the votes for it in the House. Um, and there seems to be a, a sufficiently sized coalition in the Senate to get something over the line. The question Good. is, what is it going to be? Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be uh, an exalted version of a data breach notification law. If so, we might as well just keep waiting. Um, you know, I, I, I think, though, that there is a, there's a, um, a critical mass for getting that over the line. Mm -hmm. um, but, but more important than that, I think the big topic this year is going to be trust in answers. Mm -hmm. I, 
we've found over the past 12 months that not being able to be sure of the validity of an answer or the the validity of a statement made online, especially if it's an advertisement, um, has left everyone worried about uh, being able to find what they're looking for. So over the course of this year, I anticipate that in everything from context-based advertising to verified validated answers from businesses about their products, you're going to see a real push for the sort of epistemological version of the blue check next to your name. Mm -hmm. This answer is real because it comes from the source. And finding those systems and putting them in place is going to be an extremely important and I think probably very valuable exercise for businesses. Yeah. That's very good. Trust. Uh, Stephanie, two things. What are we going to be looking for? So I think, you know, just to to add, I fully share uh, James' view, of course, that trust is number one and that uh, you have to decline that all along the business chain, right? But to name two others, I think competition issue and the way the way platforms are are uh, are tackling uh, the whole uh, e-commerce but also the whole digital presence and the way they are they are cooperating with small businesses are, are, is going to be a very important uh, a very important element in 2021 and uh, uh, also how uh, how data uh, transfers and data flows are going to be evolving and the EU has been pushing uh, to put in place some data pools to uh, enable better business to business data sharing and also uh, uh, some different uh, approaches and more agile approaches to uh, to business data so i think it's going to be very interesting to see how that is connected to uh, to the privacy law and how uh, it enables uh, data to flow. Yep. So those are the things we're going to look out for 2021. And um, uh, I can, as we go into 2021, I'm certainly good. It's certainly going to be a little bit more complicated um, with this new norm. And I really want to thank you guys both for the insights today. It was really insightful. And uh, maybe we can follow up in the first quarter next year to see what actually has happened. And James, federal privacy, I'm really glad to hear about that one. Okay. Hopefully it comes. So for our listeners, we have been talking to Stephanie Verliak. She's the EU manager at Cinda. And if you'd like to get hold of Stephanie, you can get her at stephanie at on Twitter at Steph Verliak, and on LinkedIn under Stephanie Verliak. Mazan and under www.swmconsult.com. And our second guest has been James Ward. He's the managing partner at Ward PLLC and co-author of Data Leverage, Unlocking the Surprising Growth Potential of Data Partnerships, available on Amazon and highly recommended from my side. So thank you both again for joining us. And uh, stay safe in these difficult times. And um, we'll follow up first quarter to see what's happened and where we're, you know, how far we are in some of the issues that we've talked about today. And for our listeners, please listen to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us, don't worry because we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major podcast platform. And with that, thank you very much for listening and tune in again next week. Thank you, Steph. Thank you, James. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.